All right, and if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 14, or you can just read with us up on the screen. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles, and here it is, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are we too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside. That's quick. From worship to stoning. (laughs) And dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Would you stand with me, please, as we... Seek God together. Father, we love you today. God, we need you to speak today. We need you to come today. Holy Spirit, you're the only real teacher. You're the one anointed. You know what every life is doing. You know where everyone is. You know exactly what we need. Would you speak a thousand different sermons? Would you take this sermon and just go and speak exactly what is needed Spirit of God, fall on this place. 
Fill this place. Let this place be a, a, a place of cleansing water over our hearts and our minds. Let all poison be gone by the end of this service. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, and we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Point one, unbelief poisons our mind. So it says that, the, that there were Jews there that refused to believe. Paul is preaching the good news of God's grace. God is confirming that this is from him by signs and wonders. And there are some Jews that are refusing to believe and they are poisoning the minds of those around them. Unbelief is poison for an unbeliever. So what's going on with these Jews? Because they do believe in God. They believe God exists. They believe God is holy. They believe God is a judge. And they believe in the law. And they are, the way to God for them has been to keep the law. That God is going to, um, good people are going to go to heaven. Bad people are going to go to hell. And this is, this is what God has given the human race, the law. And they refuse to believe what Paul is saying. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that no one keeps the law. Paul's saying that everybody falls short of God. That the distance between God and man is, is way bigger than you think it is. God is way holier than you think, and people are way more sinful than you think. And so even those that are trying the hardest to please God are falling way short of God's holiness. And this is why God had this drastic plan whereby he would come down in the, in the form of the Son of God and he would take on flesh and he would live the perfect life that actually keeps the law and then he would die for all those under the law. He would pay the price for sin and this is the way that God has poured out his grace. Grace means generosity. God has poured out all of his grace by coming in Jesus. And so now he's calling everybody to come to Jesus. This is the good news. God has forgiveness for us, but it is only in his son. We must repent and come to Jesus. We must be saved. We must be forgiven. We must have a savior. And they're like, no, I don't need a savior. I'm good enough. I can do this on my own. And, and maybe you're here today, and that's what your trust is in, you're, that you're a good person. You know, God's going to, obviously, God, if God is good, he's certainly going to save good people. You know what? He will. The, the problem is, it's not that God won't save good people. The problem is, is we're not good. That's the problem. The problem is, we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We get a false sense of goodness because we, we say we're, we're no worse than somebody else or that person's a Christian and if that person's gonna make it, I'll certainly make it because I'm no worse than they are and that, they do this, this, this. Listen, it's not about that. We're, we're, way, we're way shorter than you think you are. You must be saved. 
You must have Jesus come and own him as your own savior to have your sins forgiven and to find a place in heaven. You are going to be very, very disappointed. Your mind is poisoned if you think you can get there by your own work or by your own effort or by your own religion or by your own morality. That is absolute spiritual poison. It will keep you from heaven. We all must humble ourselves and accept the way God has made, which is in, in Jesus Christ. And so if, that, if that's you, before the service is over, you will have a chance to accept God's generous gift of life that he offers us in Christ Jesus. All right. Unbelief poisons our mind, and that's, that's unbelievers are poisoned. But guess what else? Believers can be poisoned. So the entire chapter 15 of Acts is about people that believe in Jesus. They, they are, they're in Jesus, but they believe that we still need the law and that people still need to be circumcised and that it's kind of like Jesus is going to add to the law, that we, we've got the law, we've already got the law, that's all good, and now Jesus is going to kind of help us keep the law, and so it's, it's grace plus performance, and that somehow this combination, and so all of chapter 15 is this debate they have, and Paul is fighting for the, the true gospel. The true gospel is is that it's all about, it's all God's grace. It's not about man's performance, about God's grace. This was the true gospel that Paul fought for. Here's what he says in Galatians. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So these guys are saved but they're being very tempted to go back to performance. We were saved by grace, by the Holy Spirit, by faith, but now God wants us to be good enough. God wants us to try hard enough so that, so that we can somehow earn our way with God. And, and, and Paul says, says you guys are, are being bewitched. You guys are being poisoned. So I have a theory that all of us have a little Pharisee gene in us that wants to perform, that wants to be good enough. That you're going along in your Christian life and all of a sudden it's less about God's grace and what God is doing and God's goodness and it's more about what you're doing and your service and your, your everything and, 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 and now we're earning it. And, and all of a sudden, there's some signs when the, of what, what happens. First thing that happens is every sense of the miraculous leaves. Paul says in, in, in Galatians 4.15, where did that sense of blessedness go? Where, where, you remember that sense of, of expectation and that, 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 that just that sense that, that we, are, we are blessed and, and that the surprise is kind of gone. Where, where did that go? 
the joy leaves. Paul says, listen, you guys are like, this is Galatians 4.28, you, like Isaac, were born of a promise. The, the gospel, Isaac means laughter. You, every single one of us, our name, the beginning of the gospel is laughter. The gospel should make you laugh. Why? Because here's what the gospel is. That these people that have all sinned against God, have all defied God, had all rebelled against God, that all deserve punishment and separation from God. God not only wants to forgive them, but then he adopts them and makes them the heir of all things. And here's why. Because they believed a promise. Not because they were good, not because they're good enough, but because they believed a promise. That is the gospel. That is the gospel from beginning to end. And without that joy, without that laughter, the the gospel, uh, we become very weak as Christians. So, Pastor Tom, how do you know? How do I know? Am I in this performance identity? Have I gone back to the performance identity? Even though I'm a Christian, have I gone, am I actually living out of the performance identity? Or am I, am I truly living as a favored child of God, beloved child of God? Which, which is it? Let me tell you a little what it looks like. Okay, so the, the, the first sign that you're in the performance identity is the performance identity works by fear and guilt. You are motivated by fear and guilt the, the answer in the performance identity is always try harder. I'm not, I'm not getting victory. Try harder. Read more. Pray more. Go to church more. It's something you do harder that you are not doing. Here's another perfect sign that you're in the performance identity. You've just become very critical of everybody else. This is often how we deflect our own bad performance. By we, we, we look at what everybody else is doing, and we don't, you know, mm. They're not very Christian. I thought this was a Christian church. And, and, it, and it can be people. It can be your spouse. It can be other churches. But just kind of this critical edge that, that, that somehow everybody's falling short of performance. That just that shows you you're, you're living in the wrong. You're just living in that wrong identity. God's got a new identity for you. And the secret of living in that identity is not trying harder. God's got something else for us. Here's what it is. Dying. You die. Huh? Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. This is, here's what happened on the cross. Not only did Jesus die for you, but you died with Jesus. Your old man, the, the, the old Adam, the old performer, the, all, the old one that was always trying, that one died on the cross. And to walk in victory, you have to consider yourself dead. You have to agree with God's death of Jesus, death of the old man, death of, here it is, the independent man, the independent woman. I'm dead to that. Now I'm raised up in resurrection life, and I now live my life in union 
with the Spirit of God. The life in us, guys, is resurrection life. You want to live in that life? You live in the resurrection. Jesus rose, but it's not just that Jesus rose. I rose. I rose. And Jesus and I walk together in union. Do miracles happen? Absolutely. Why? Because he's miraculous. Could anything happen? Could any miracle happen through me? Are rivers coming out of me? Yes. Why? Because I'm living my life in union, in union with Jesus. Well, what about the, all, the, the pull of sin? It's hard to tempt a dead person. Agree with God about your death and then agree with God about your resurrection. That's, the, that's, the, 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 that's how the gospel functions. All right. Point two. Mankind isn't the problem or the solution. Mankind isn't the problem or the solution. So here's what happens to Paul and Barnabas. They're in Iconium. And the rumors get out, oh my, there is a plan to stone us. And so they're like, we need to get out of this town. So they leave Iconium and they go seven miles to Lystra. They start preaching there, everything's going well, until the people from Iconium come to Lystra and they start poisoning, they didn't just poison these mines, now they're poisoning the Lystra mines and, and, and they are trying to, and they, they actually do stone them here. They leave Paul for dead. So Paul and Barnabas pick up and they go to Derby. Derby is 52 miles from Lystra. So you, you have the sense they're getting as far away from the stoning as possible. In those days, that's a long way. Um, and then you have this very confusing picture. Once they're done in Derby, they go back. They go back to Iconium. They, first they go back to Lystra, then they go back to Iconium. The very places they were stoned, they go back to. Paul, what are you doing? See, for Paul, people were not the problem. There, there was darkness functioning. Why is he so convinced of this? Because he was that person. He had been under that darkness. He had been the one going to other cities trying to kill Christians. He was the one that was stirring up activity against the Christians. He was them. And so he is, he, he, he's going back there because that's the mission that God put him on. Let me, let me read this to you from, from Acts chapter 26, 17 and 18. He says, God, this is right at his calling. Jesus says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, this is what your life is going to look like. People everywhere are going to try to kill you. But I'm going to deliver you from them. And here's why. Because I'm sending you to them. The very people that hate you, the very people that are trying to kill you, that's going to be your mission. You're going to go to them, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your life. I'm going to use your preaching to supernaturally open their eyes. In Paul's theology, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. 
So the, the unbelieving are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. They're functioning in blindness, blindness just like he did. And so he is called to them. You, you're mad at me. You hate me. You don't like me. You're gossiping about me. You're betraying me. You're, 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 you're putting, okay, fine. I, I'm sent to you. So your family members, Thanksgiving, oh, I hate Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uncle Bob will be there. Uncle Bob is mean. Uncle Bob will never get saved. Listen, God wants Uncle Bob saved. Jesus died for Uncle Bob. Well, how, did, how would he ever get saved? You? God's sending you to him. Now, we've learned this with family. A lot of, with family, you don't, the way you get family interested is not, it turns out, by arguing with them. You, you actually get family interested by living the gospel in front of them, by forgiving them, by being generous to them, and then they usually have to find out from somebody else how you get saved. But the um, point is this, is that we are sent to the very people that don't like us. Get used to it. The people aren't the problem. Nor are people the solution. <laughs> God does a miracle through Paul, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they, they're coming, and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 wrong message, wrong message. We, we want to, it's always poison when you put people on this, this uh, pedestal. When it, you put politicians, it's that politician, or it's that preacher, and it's, it's this person. Listen, you're, you're, that's poison. You're going to end up getting poison. Here's, what, here's how Paul describes himself. That, okay, so 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 was, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. And then he says this in verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So guys, we're, we're clay jars but we're carrying the king of glory. The one in you has all surpassing power. When, when Paul spoke to that man, be healed, rise up and be healed, the power of God came out of Paul. It was confusing to people because it looked like Paul did the miracle. And in one sense, Paul did. Paul was the vessel, but it was the power of God that did the miracle. And so, so God wants to use us to speak his words. He wants to use us so life will come through people and we need to be thankful for the people, but don't idolize people. And when people try to idolize you, maybe that feels good. You just, you thank them and you take all the praise they gave you and give it, give it right to Jesus. Every eye needs to be on Jesus. God doesn't share his glory. And if we start making it about us, God has to back away. Whenever it becomes about people, poison gets in. Whenever it becomes about, about how bad people are or about how good people are, it becomes poisonous. Guys, we are in a spiritual battle. 
All right, so last point. Living free from poison. Before you get real excited, there are three points under the last point. (laughs) Point one, living free from poison. Pursue intimacy with God. 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, notice, your minds, may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The greatest treasure that you have as a Christian is this simple, pure devotion to Christ. We call it intimacy with God. That is the most precious valued thing you have. We had a Tuesday night, this is just a couple Tuesday nights ago, where we had anybody that identified themselves as possibly a prophetic intercessor to come down and we prayed for them. These are, these are people that, that God, they hear from God and they pray for the church and they pray for others. And the Old Testament, they called them watchmen, watchmen on the wall. They are, they are watchers. They are seeing what is coming, seeing, and then praying about that. And, and, and so that was a great night, but I got an email the next day from one of our brothers. And he said, uh, he said, Pastor Tom, um, you know, the Old Testament watchmen, they were watching for the enemy. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're watching to, to see what the devil is doing? And then, and then God has us on that wall to respond to what the devil's doing. And I'm like, mm, I can see where you would think that, but that, that's absolutely not what New Testament watchmen are doing. New Testament watchmen are watching for what God is doing. And when they see darkness, and you will see darkness, you will see darkness in people, you will see darkness in cities, you'll see darkness in parties, you'll see there's darkness all around us, and you will will see darkness. Even you will see darkness in yourself. Our response to darkness is this to ask Jesus what to do about it. Do you, want it do, you, do you want to know what the enemy would try to get us to doing, living our whole lives in response to darkness? That we're just in this battle that you can never win. In fact, as you feel like you're losing all the time, the church is losing, I'm losing, everything's losing, everything's dark because uh, I, well, no matter how much I do, the devil's doing more. And listen, that's a battle you're going to swing a lot, you're going to fight a lot, and you're going to just be exhausted. God, God has... A better plan. Oftentimes, when you see what darkness is doing, and you and you and you say to Jesus, Jesus, this is what darkness is doing. You know what he's going to say? I know about it. Just don't even worry about it. It's a distraction. Don't even worry about it. Jesus said, "Let the wheat and the tares grow together. Don't be anxious to to take up every tear and and make every get every tear out of the garden." He said, "You don't even know what it is. Just leave it. Leave it. Get your eyes off the darkness." And get your eyes on me. I will show you how to respond. There is also to remove leaven. Leaven corrupts. And sometimes God will say, I want you to confront that or I want you to go privately. And, but most of the time, he'll just say, you know, come to me. He'll oftentimes tell you to pray about something that is burdening you. Intimacy with God. So, uh, we have learned from the movies 
how to rob a bank. We have learned this a thousand times over. We've, we've learned it through Ocean's Eleven, through the Italian job, Mission Impossible. If you want to steal something of great value, the movies have taught us how to do it. Here's how you do it. You create a distraction. You have to get those who are in charge of guarding that which is precious, you have to get their eyes somewhere else. So you you distract them, you get them focusing on the wrong thing, and then while they're not looking, you take what is precious. You take what is valuable. Now, I want to submit to you that the master of all cons is the devil. He is the master distractor. He's, He's really, really good at this. You say, well, Pastor Tom, what do I have that's so precious that he wants? He wants your intimacy with God. So he, he, he wants that, that vital, sincere devotion that is pure, you and Jesus. Jesus loves me, I love Jesus, and I'm just walking with him every day, and he hates that. And so he needs to create a distraction. Here's what Peter says. You need to be sober and vigilant for your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom you need to resist steadfast in the faith. You need to be awake. You need to be reckoned that, that there is, you've got an enemy and he's, re, he's really good at what he does. He's been doing it for, for, on Christians for 2,000 years. You're only, you've only been alive, what? Maybe the, the most 80 years. He's better at distracting. He's really good at distracting, and he knows human beings. So get you over here with the the money, and over here you got a pain, and it's the health, and you got something over here with politics, and you got something over here. I mean, this last year with COVID has just been distraction after distraction. Church is running here. The church is running there. Church is running there. Church is running there. Facebook, oh my, we've we've got distraction everywhere. Video game. There's all kinds of distractions. And the only, the only way you're going to keep your intimacy with God is if you pursue it. This is going to have to be the top priority. You're going to have to treat your own intimacy with God as the most valuable thing you have. The most valuable thing I have is that I am loved. That God is good and he loves me and Jesus died for me and he's made a way for me to draw close to him every single day through the blood of Jesus and that I live in this intimate relationship that is under attack. So I need to protect it. I can't allow myself to go over here and here and here and here and, and it's called the one thing. Mary has chosen the one thing and Jesus says it will not be taken from her. When you choose it, he will help defend it. David said, one thing have I desired, and that is what I'm going to seek after. This is what I'm going to give my energy to, that I might dwell in the presence of God, that I might behold the beauty of God, that I might view my life through this intimacy with God. David had lots of other stuff going on in his life. He was a king. He was a soldier. He had, all, he had, he had a palace to take care of. He had, I mean, there was lots going on, but, but those weren't his aim, That's why he's called the man after God's own heart. God wants to call you the person after God's own heart. He wants you to be described as, oh yeah, I know that one. That's the person after my heart. 
They are chasing me. They are valuing intimacy with God above everything else. Enemy is always going to try to distract us. So you're going to have to choose it. You're going to have to choose it every single day. It will keep you free from poison. Number two, how do you live free from poison? Embrace forgiveness as a lifestyle. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God that no, and that no root, bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's the thing with bitterness. Bitterness, it's never bitter and just a party of one. Bitterness is an evangelist. Bitterness pursues others. It wants other people to feel as bad as they do. It's not good enough for them that Paul and Barnabas left their city. They chased them to Lystra. They chased them. They want, they defile many. That's the nature of bitterness. That's the nature of rage and anger. It wants to talk. It wants to spread itself. And it ends up defiling and poisoning everybody it comes in contact with. Believers can easily become poisonous and take up accusations and speak them because it's just the truth. I only tell the truth and this is what's true. Just because it's true doesn't mean God wants you to say it. Who, Who made you judge anyway? So Ed Ainsworth said, uh, don't make forgiveness an event. Make it a lifestyle. If you make it an event, you're going to have to do it again and again and again and again. And, And what he said is, listen, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, we pray this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us in the same way that we forgive. It's right there. But the Lord knows us. And so he gets done saying how they should pray, and he knows that that part didn't sit well with us, so he clarifies. Right after the Lord's Prayer, he says, for if you don't forgive people their sins, God's not going to forgive you your sins. Just in case you didn't catch this, this is how it works. And what Ed Ainsworth said is, is decide now that you're always going to forgive, that you're going to be a forgiving person. Otherwise, he said, you're going to have a ball and chain on you all the time that you're dragging around, that grudge. It can be against a person. It can be against a a political party. It can be against America. It can be against Islam. And you're just carrying it around all the time. You You got this grudge. You got this unsolved, unresolved anger. So in, within the last week here, uh, Colin Powell died. Colin Powell was this uh, incredible man, black man, who broke many firsts in the United States and, and uh, the first secretary of state, first general, leader of the army, first lots of stuff that was black. And it turns out that in 1996, this is 12 years before Barack Obama was elected president, both parties wanted Colin Powell to be their guy. The Republicans and the Democrats wanted Colin Powell to run for president from their party. And his wife said, no, it's a wise man. (laughs) He was a devout Christian. 
And he was a man of integrity and a man of honor. And he had 13 principles. 13 things that you need to know that you can get, you can get them on the internet. 13 things that he, Colin Powell lived by. Here was one of them. Get mad and get over it. Get mad, but don't stay mad. Get mad and get over it. This is almost directly from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger and do not leave an opportunity for the devil. Be angry. It's part of the image of God. If you can't be angry, something's broken in you. If there's an injustice, you should be angry. But you need to be very careful with your anger. You need to bring it to God. You need to bring it to the cross. You need to to bring it to the judge of everyone else. The only one that can make it right and say, Jesus, here is what I'm angry about. Here's who I'm angry about. And, And let him give you his peace. Let him give you his presence in return for your anger. If you go to bed angry, you're gonna wake up with a a little seed of bitterness in you, because that's what the devil does. And then it's very difficult because anger is a powerful engine. There's many angry people in this country. There's many angry people and they've got lots of energy to do stuff because they're angry and it's all in the name of justice. But the anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. When you do stuff out of anger, you end up empowering darkness. And it's playing right into the hands of the devil, right into the hands of the kingdom of darkness. So get mad and get over it. All right. Lastly, stay connected to the church. Acts 14, 22 and 23. Paul and Barnabas came, um, they came back to, to, to Lystra and Iconium, and it says they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So to live poison-free, number one, You need to pursue intimacy with God as your greatest value. Number two, you need to embrace forgiveness, not just as an event, but as a lifestyle. And number three, you need to stay connected to the local church. You need to prioritize the local church. Pastor Tom, church is boring. We do the same stuff every week. You talk about Jesus every week. Whoever's up there talks about Jesus. We sing pretty much the same songs. Da, 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 da. It's boring. I find church boring. Listen, listen. Washing your hands is boring. But you still wash your hands several times a day. Why? To keep poison off. Paul and Barnabas had just been there. Why are they coming back? Why does the church need to be strengthened and encouraged? And why? Because, guys, just living in this world poisons you. 
They, they're being poisoned about, about the character of God. They're, they're, they're tired and life is hard. And Paul and Barnabas come in and they encourage them and say, listen, that's not a sign that God's not good. Jesus said this. You're going to have to go through many difficulties. That, this is part of it. Don't worry. You're going to get strong through your difficulties. You, and they encourage them and they strengthen them. We need the local church. They set up elders in the church. Why? Because we need the local church. Let me, let me read to you what Paul says about the local church. This is, uh, this is from 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, people ought to conduct themselves. He's speaking to Timothy about how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. God has placed his truth in the church. The church of the living God. God, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the only thing on earth that hell will not prevail against is the church that Jesus is building. And I'm not talking about this church. You need to find a church that honors the word of God and honors the spirit of God, and you need to be committed to it. Why? Because you need to be washed of the poison of this world again and again and again. We need each other. Listen, listen to this. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you know that it's really easy to poison a well and it's very hard to poison a river? So we got lots of folks today all over the body of Christ. They're done with organized religion. They're done with church. Why? They were hurt in church. They were disappointed by church. This person fell. They were, they were my leader and then they fell. And da, da, da. I'm done with church. I'm just, just me and Jesus. Watch out. You're just going to have your own little well. And I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. But your own well can get poisoned very, very easily. God has put his truth in the church. The river. When we come together, there is a river flowing. It is amazing what happens in church without you even trying to do anything. You just, the deceitfulness of, of, of sin just gets exposed and the hardness comes off. And a lot of it is just like worship. What is worship? Worship is reorienting your life to Jesus. Reorienting your life. You get your eyes off of man. You get your eyes off of their problems. You get your eyes off of all the distractions that are poisoning you and you start looking up and you start worshiping and all of a sudden poison just starts leaving you just by re reorienting yourself and we need to do it we need to do it every day and we need to do it in community at least every week we also need small groups god will you most of the ways god will manifest himself to you is through another believer that's all the one another's love one another encourage one another Correct one another. All of this requires you to be connected to something. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I close here. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said this about, about the enemy. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came that you might have life. Life 
abundant. And it's, he's, what he's, the word there for life is the life of God. It's eternal life. That, I, that you would have eternal life in you that would overflow. It would be abundant. And he said, the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, what's interesting is the context that he says this. Because it's all about him being the shepherd and about us being sheep. And here's what he says in verse 12. That the wolf comes to scatter and snatch the sheep. This is how wolves work. They don't go after the one that's in the flock. They, they, they isolate. They go after the one that's injured. They go after the one that got caught in the, the pricker bush. They, they, they create a scare to isolate, to scatter, and then isolate so they can devour, so that they can steal. And so here's what the enemy's plan is for this generation. This next generation coming up, there's a tremendous attack right now against the church. Church has been devalued. The church has been mocked. The church has been called non-essential. My, oh, my. We had to fight a lawsuit when, the, when Dane County called the church non-essential. The, 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 the Catholic church had to, had to file a lawsuit to, for them to say, oh, I guess you're essential. Are you kidding me? In the middle of a pandemic, when everybody's depressed, everybody's lonely, everybody's isolated, the church is non-essential? Are you kidding me? Well, we're, we're being raised in a generation. And frankly, a lot of them got it from the adults. If, if the adults treat church as non-essential, the kids will. It, the, the kids will always do it more. We, we've got to value our gathering together, guys. Amen. We've got to value. This is, it, this, this is part of our safety. This is part of our making it. We need to prioritize being together. This can't be an afterthought. Gathering together can't be an afterthought. You know, if we have time, we'll go to church. Well, you'll never have time. You know, if we're in the mood, we'll go to church. Trust me, you'll never be in the mood. Why? Because we're human beings. The flesh, the flesh, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You need to decide this is a priority. Me and my house, we're going to be at church. We're going to be in the... Well, my kids don't like church. Well, tell them. I can't make you like church. I can make you go, but I can't make you like it. So if you want to go and be miserable, then have at it. But I'm going to get you there because I'm your parent, and I love you, and I want you to be poison-free. I want you to have a poison-free life. And you need the community. God arranged it, guys, so that first we need him, but second, we need each other.